All right. <clears throat> I did that with a little bit of training and uh, took a few art classes. And I don't know if you recognize my voice on video. It sounds a little different. Um, no, that's actually from uh, the Bible Project, uh, a tremendous resource uh, that uh, we want to make available to you. Uh, you just visit YouTube. They, YouTube has them on there as well as uh, their website, BibleProject.com. Um, but before we get into there, um, if you uh, have your Bible, turn to the book of Exodus. That's where we're going to be. If you don't have a Bible and you want to follow along and see where we're at, just raise your hand. The ushers will gladly hand you uh, a Bible from ours that you can use. And let me just introduce myself. Uh, if you're visiting or if you're new uh, or if you've, you've been coming, I've actually been gone for a couple weeks. So if you've been here in the last month and, and you haven't seen me, my name is Jesse. And for the most part, I get to handle most of the, the teaching duties here at Sierra Bible Church, which is a privilege to do so. Uh, and uh, love to meet you, get to know you. One of the things that we provide for you now in your bulletin, if you have that and you're looking to get connected to the church, we'd love for you to tell us a little bit uh, about yourself. We believe in what God is doing here, and we believe that you actually have gifts uh, that will benefit our church. And so if you want to get plugged in, you just pull that little piece of paper off, and on there is an opportunity for you to tell us about yourself. I would really encourage you to put your email in there. Uh, and if you do, uh, if you, if you do that, uh, a couple places you can drop that off. One is you can put it in the offering boxes in the back, we don't pass a plate here. We, we operate on faith. Uh, so if you want to give, you can do so online on our website, sbctrucky.com, or in the boxes on your way out, or you can mail them in. But if you fill that form out, just put it in the offering box or take it to our info booth, which is to my right, your left. We give you a free gift as a visitor. Uh, and one of the things that that'll do is if you check the box for newsletter, we launch a newsletter every week that has all kinds of great content and information. Uh, the Bible Project video will be in there this week. So if you're looking how to find that, uh, that'll be in there. And then in addition to that, uh, last week, a member of our church uh, pointed me in the direction of a really, really uh, well done 25-minute documentary on, uh, on Moses in modern-day Iraq and where they believe might si Mount Sinai uh, to be today. Fascinating uh, video if you want to just see uh, kind of how it's protected today and, and the site that they believe uh, that Moses went to the top of the mountain. The mountain they actually think that it may be is actually blackened from the top, uh, and they don't, they don't know why. We know why it's in the text. We'll, we'll get into that uh, in a few weeks, but it's actually blackened, and it's a, quite a, a sight to see. So if you want to watch that documentary, that would be in our newsletter as well. So make sure you sign up for that. If you don't want to uh, fill out one of those forms, if you just go on your phone right now uh, to our website, again, sbctrucky.com, you scroll to the bottom, there's an opportunity for you to sign up digitally on your phone or your tablet. <clears throat> and before we get into the message this morning, I also just want to mention a couple other things. Um, one is, uh, whoops, Let's see if we can get to it. Uh, how many of you know these two individuals? A few of you, okay. This is Johnny and Jordan Wong. Uh, we support them. They've been missionaries in Spain, in the Basque country, northern Spain, uh, for almost the last nine years. Uh, they're a tremendous group of people. Uh, Johnny actually attended Moody Bible College, came out here several years ago, did some missions work with us, and we ended up connecting with them. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been to Spain. I've had an opportunity to go, and so I've been there. I've seen what life is like in Basque country. They actually live in a little town called Zaraz, uh, and it, it's about the same size of Truckee, but it's condensed right there on the shoreline uh, into a small neighborhood with towering uh, buildings. And so they're, they're really condensed, uh, tight-knit community and the Basque country as well as Europe as a whole is a post-Christian culture so there are very few if any churches at all in fact in Spain 
uh, where I was at, there were no, no evangelical churches in Zarat, zero. And when we were there, almost the entire community on a Sunday, they didn't go to Catholic church, they didn't go to church at all, they played soccer on the beach. And, and so they, they've been in that country trying to reach people for Jesus uh, without a church to call home, which has been hard too because they don't have uh, a whole lot of community outside of really us as a church. And so what they've done is they've done two things, and they're starting a third to reach people for Jesus in the Basque country. One is <clears throat> they started an English school. And so they've been, uh, they opened up a, an English school to teach uh, kids there, college-age kids and older, how to speak English. And what they've done through that process is built relationships to share the gospel with people uh, and learning English. The second thing they've done is they opened up a coffee shop because, you know, the best way to reach people for Jesus is through an addictive substance. And, and uh, so they've been, they've been serving coffee. Again, and, and again, it's like a community like ours. So imagine they're teaching English, uh, they're serving coffee, and people are coming and they're building relationships, and now they're on phase three. After nine years, they're, they're attempting to plant a church, an evangelical, Bible-teaching, gospel-centered church in northern Spain. Uh, and so we're supporting them in that, we're praying for them. But here's what we're asking of you. Uh, in July, for three weeks, they're bringing several, uh, the attempt is to bring several of their college students who are learning English to come to the United States for three weeks and to be immersed in an English uh, culture so they can learn English. Now, these are kids who don't know Jesus. So they, they, don't, they don't know who God is. They, they, they've heard from Johnny and Jordan a little bit. And Johnny and Jordan would love to bring them here uh, and, and give them a three-week e- immersive experience. And so uh, what we're asking of you is if you would be open to maybe housing a student for three weeks, uh, you'd have an opportunity to build a relationship uh, with some wonderful uh, young college-age kids and possibly share the gospel with them as they learn English. If you're interested in that, uh, I want to encourage you to go to info booth. Esther and Larry, who are on our missions team, will be out there. Would you guys stand so everyone kind of just knows exactly who you are? And, and they'll sign you up. They'll give you more information. So make sure you connect with them. Thank you, guys. So that's Johnny and Jordan. And then, um, ladies, there's a women's study on Wednesday nights. I got I to gotta hype this up because my wife is teaching it. And, and I want my life to go well. And so I want to encourage you guys to get plugged in. This now, she does a tremendous job teaching. I want to make you aware of that. Uh, and then also, Mike Harrison, where, is, uh, where are you, Mike? There is Mike, stand real quick so everyone can see you. What are you trying to do? Sneak back in. Okay, that's Mike right there. Mike oversees our men's accountability groups. What these are, are there are several groups, I think 10 or 12. I can't remember. Six teams right now of four guys each, uh, and, and he's looking to add a few more, get some guys involved. What these are are small groups for guys. So if you're a guy and you want to get connected with other guys, I know that doesn't sound manly. Like, men don't use those terms. I'm a guy. I'd love to get connected with some other dudes. No, seriously, you need this, okay? Guys, you need this, and you have a lot to offer other guys. And so we'd love for you to get connected uh, and plugged in. That's Mike. Connect with him, and he'll direct you to a group, okay? You guys ready? All right, for the last several weeks, you've been asking me, when are we starting Exodus? When are we starting Exodus? Today. We're starting it today. So I'm glad you're here. I'm glad that uh, the media has not kept you from coming. I'm glad that your fears of catching a virus uh, have not kept you from being here. I'm thankful that your faith in Jesus is strong enough for you to to come. And we know that that we have nothing to fear. God is in control. I had a gal at the gym. Uh, I was walking in the gym, and she said to me, I'm so glad you're here. This is a God-ordained moment. I'm scared. And she just wanted to share where she was at. And I said, remember, God is on the throne, and he is in control. With that said, please don't touch me. Uh, And... (laughs) 
no, he is on the throne. We're thankful for him. And um, I'm, I'm glad that it hasn't kept you uh, from coming. And so I think the word will speak into that a little bit this morning. The attempt this morning as we start Exodus, uh, it is scheduled for, we are scheduled to, to be teaching this for eight months with a little bit of a break for uh, Palm Sunday and Good Friday and Easter. So be praying for, for that. that. That was a very uh, impactful event for us last year as Easter tends to be uh, a good event for churches across the nation to preach the gospel. If you would, this morning, we have a tradition here. If you've been coming regularly, you know. If not, uh, we do it because we love God's speech. We believe it is his spoken word. We're going to read just a few, verse, uh, few verses in chapter 1. Would you stand with me as we honor the word of God? <clears throat> I'll also put another plug out there. If uh, we, we do have these ESV journals, uh, that this is the book of Exodus here. Uh, the, the verses are on one side, and there's a place to journal on the other side. And the, there's a few more left in the bookstore, including the one here. So I want to make that available to you. Verse 1, chapter 1, Exodus. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. Ishakar, Zebulun, and Benjamin. Dan, and Naphtali. Gad, and Asher. All of the descendants of Joseph died. And all his brothers and all the generation, but the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly, and they multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Lord, we trust this morning knowing there are things in this world that if we allow them, they can cause fear and trepidation, worry and anxiety. And yet as we gather here in this room, we place our hope and our salvation not in the hands of man, not in a government system, not in the CDC, but in the name of Jesus Christ. The one who came on our behalf to reconcile us to yourself, not just for this world, but for eternity. And for that, we would say we are eternally grateful. And for that, we would ask you to impact our lives today, to change us and to shape us into your image, to comfort us and give us the peace that surpasses understanding. We trust you for these things, Lord. In Jesus' name, the church said, Amen. You may be seated. So, <clears throat> one of the questions I get any time we start a book in the Bible is, why this book? Why are you teaching this book? Now, I'll give you a personal preference and, and a couple little educational moments here for us as a church of why we choose books when we do and, and why we tackle them the way we do. So, uh, we do topical sermons on occasion, but for the most part, we don't teach topical sermons. And I understand there is uh, churches all over the world that, that teach four-week series, three-week series, or a six-week series, and that really isn't us. That's not our identity, though we will do uh, those things. And we wouldn't look down upon them. We wouldn't frown upon them. And that, uh, I, in fact, one of my favorite guys to read is a guy by the name of Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He's known as the Prince of Preachers. And for the most part, he was uh, what was considered a manuscript preacher as well as a topical preacher. What I mean by manuscript is that he didn't have an outline. He actually wrote all of his uh, sermons down from top to bottom. And because of that, today we have these timeless sermons that we can continue to read uh, because of the fact that he wrote them down. So there's nothing wrong with them. Uh, but we like to go through books of the Bible. Usually what we do is we go Old Testament, do some topical New Testament, back to Old Testament, and trying to get a broad picture 
of Scripture as a whole. So we don't try to just stick in the New Testament and, and forget about the Old Testament as if it's not for us. And, and we try not to just stay into the Old Testament and forget the New Testament. We try to give a good holistic view of both. But here's the conviction. The conviction is that no matter what is being taught, whether it is topical, Old Testament or New Testament, that what is being taught is being anchored to the text, being anchored to the Word of God. Amen? And so I'm okay with topical as long as the preacher addresses the scripture in which it comes from. And here's why. When you leave here this morning, uh, inevitably, you will, you'll go home, you'll go to work. I can't go with you. A pastor can't go with you. But the word of God does go with you and can go with you. And, and that's the authority. I'm not the authority. Uh, no other man is the authority. I don't care what denomination you're part of, what website you like to visit. Man does not carry authority, but the word of God carries the authority. So we get to compare to these things. So I'll also share this. I really appreciate it when you actually bring your Bible to church. I think it's a really good thing to have something in front of you that smells like trees. Okay? And, and I recognize that, that we have digital devices. You have the ability to, to get on your phone or your tablet. And what I found, what I found really interesting is that um, over the years as we've transitioned to digital, I thought it would be our younger group of people that would be attracted to digital, but I've come to find out that those who are more mature in life have appreciated the digital device because they can zoom in on the text. They can read it. <clears throat> uh, and in fact, I had uh, someone in the church, they, they came to me and they said, listen, hey, we, uh, I need, and, I, and several of us need some of the, the large print Bibles. Would you purchase uh, for, for us some, some large print Bibles and put those in the bookstore? And I said, sure. So I purchased some and I put them out there and then the individual who had asked and requested for them uh, came in and, and uh, she was holding them, and, and I don't know if you know this, but when you make the text bigger, you make the book bigger. <laughs> and so she held it, and she said, it's too heavy. I don't want it. <clears throat> so uh, we'll give you a good deal on a large print Bible if you need one. Here's why Exodus. The, the question, the, oftentimes, or at least the question I might ask myself, how come we don't do a series on maybe marriage? Or why don't you do a series on anxiety? Or why don't you do a special message on the coronavirus or addiction or parenting or relationships or finances since the stock market is plummeting? Why not a series on these things? And the reason is because, uh, the, re the ultimate reason is because Exodus is about God. In fact, the whole Bible is about God. Uh, and, and that's why. It, and when we think about God, God transcends. And that's, that's the big lesson. God transcends these things. He transcends the stock market. He transcends the illness. He transcends the cancer. He transcends the difficulty in marriage. He's bigger than all of these things. So I would argue that a small view of God usually leads to most of the ills that we struggle with in life. If we have a small view of God, we wrestle with issues we wouldn't wrestle with if we had a large view of God. And Exodus is going to give us a, a magnificent, magnificent view of of the greatness, the goodness, the largeness, uh, the, the beauty, the splendor of how awesome God is. In fact, one author says it like this. It's a paltry understanding of God that leads to so many of the ills in our hearts and our relationships with one another so that the right understanding of who God is is primary and the primary pursuit of those who are serious about life. Uh, and so why Exodus? Why not a particular series? Because we believe that the word of God transcends these things, that God transcends these things. Augustine said it like this, when scripture speaks, God speaks. Or as the Bible would say, Psalm 66 verse 5, come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds towards the children of man. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There did we rejoice in him. 
So ultimately, we were going through this book because it's going to give us a large view of God. So again, my, my attempt this morning is just a big overview of this book. Uh, it's, it's considered a book of five. Uh, so what that means is that Exodus is part of the Pentateuch, which is all part of Moses' writings, which include Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Moses wrote all five books, took him quite a bit of time to do it, and it's one, it's part of one big story. So again, we study scripture. Anytime we study scripture, we recognize we're studying the big story of the Word of God. So ultimately, we know this about the Word of God, that ultimately the Word of God is about the glory of God and the goodness of God. It's not about you. It's not about, about how, how you fit into the story as much as it is how awesome God is. Let me, let me give you an example. Uh, it's one that's been used before might be familiar to you, maybe not, but it's at least uh, saying. Some of you remember the story of David, yeah? Remember King David? He, 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 was, he was this little guy. He wasn't a big guy. And previously, he, he ended up becoming the king of Israel later, after all of the story we're reading here. But previously to David, there was another king, and his name was Saul. And Saul was basically picked because he was tall, dark, and handsome. That's how, uh, that's how uh, man chooses their leaders. That's how you know I'm I'm chosen by God because I'm not tall, I'm not dark, nor I'm handsome. Um, men usually have a tendency to look at their leaders and say, we want them to look good. We want them to give good posture. We want them to speak well. And so Saul was the guy, right? And if you remember, Saul ends up in this battle uh, with the Philistines, and the Philistines have a chosen warrior by the name of Goliath. And Goliath is this massive man. He is a dude's dude. He is a warrior's warrior, and he mocks Israel and says, if anyone can beat me and take me down, then the war is yours. And not one man in Israel was found brave enough to fight him. Not even Saul. No one would go uh, except for this one little shepherd boy, David. And David had a a history of standing up to things bigger than him, lions and bears, because he was a shepherd, and he was taking care of his sheep, and he would combat those animals. And so he goes to King Saul And he goes to King Saul in the name of the Lord, and he says, I'm going to go. I'm going to battle on behalf of God. God's on my side. God is going to do this great thing. And Saul says, okay, if you're going to go out and battle, I'm going to make sure that you're fit for battle. So Saul takes his royal uh, armor and gives it to King David, and he places the armor on David. And what happens? David's too small to wear it. It's too heavy for him. It's too big. It's too cumbersome. So he just says, you know, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to face this giant. I don't need armor Uh, I just need faith in God. God has my back. He goes out into the battlefield, and here is this massive man mocking God, mocking the people of Israel. David puts a little rock inside of a slingshot and twists that thing around, flies it through the air, goes through the air, nails Goliath in the head, and then Goliath falls to the ground dead. And then if you ever read the rest of the story, this is one of the reasons I just love the Bible as a guy. Because then David walks up to, to Goliath to finish the job, takes out the sword, cuts his head off. All in the name of God, right? Just to make sure it's done with. Now, now, one way to teach that particular story would be, be to say, you know, you can be like David. If you just have enough faith uh, and you take your stones, whatever those stones might be, righteousness or prayer or reading scripture, and if you, you can fight your Goliaths in your life, you can defeat the hard things in your life. If you read it that way, you've missed the entire point of scripture. See, David, David is not a picture of what you and I can be. David is a picture of Jesus. Goliath is the picture of sin and all the giants in our life that we can't overcome. We can't fight them. We can't defeat the virus. We can't fix the stock market. We can't fix our marriages. We can't make ourselves better. But Jesus can. 
David is a foreshadow of the goodness of Jesus. Without Jesus, we can't defeat the giants. Likewise, Moses is a foreshadow of Jesus as well. And when we read the story, we're not to read this story in the big picture of the Pentateuch, the big picture of the Old Testament, and the big picture of uh, the New Testament and go, well, I want to be like Moses. I'm sorry, my friends, you're not Moses. Who are you in the story? You're Israel. You're in bondage without God. You're enslaved. You're sick, and you're in need of someone to come on your behalf to save you. And Moses just points us to the ultimate one who will save us, which is Jesus Christ himself. Amen. Isn't that good news? So we read this story as one big story. I like how N.T. Wright says it. Another great theologian he says, The Bible was not primarily written in order to be read in ten verse chunks. We've cut the Bible down to size. Now, obviously, there are some bits like the Psalms and some out of James that were written in short verse. But most of the Bible, including Paul's letters and the Gospels and Exodus, he doesn't write that here, but we can include it, certainly great books like Isaiah and so on, are read in order to be experienced the way you experience a symphony. And T. Wright goes on and uses this as an illustration. He says, imagine if you're at a concert, you got the first 10 bars of Beethoven's fifth, and then the conductor turned around and said, okay, that's all for this week. Come back the same time next week. We'll have the next 10 bars. You think, what? Wait a minute. See, what N.T. Wright is lamenting is that the way in which we read our Bibles, uh, we miss out on the beauty of the narrative, the arc of what God is accomplishing. It's a whole book. And that's why we say, that's why it's our conviction, not that we're better than anyone, not that our way is the only way, but that's why it's our conviction to read through entire books of the Bible, to get a big picture and how they fit. And so I made mention the first service, I'll make mention the second. That's why we provide the Exodus ESV books. Now, they do sell those journals in a whole set. You can get the whole set. It's super expensive. It's not cheap. But instead, you know, you can get one every time we teach through the book of, Bible, of the Bible. And so we estimate within 20 years, you'll have the whole Bible. Now, that's going to take us time, and that's okay. Because we're, we're looking at the overall theme, and that overall theme is God, who is glorious, who is worthy of worship, and then he folds man into the story. But you and I are not the main part of the story. We're part of the story. So that's what Wright says. So Egypt, as we dive in now, remember the background of what's happening here. Egypt is a superpower at this point. Pharaoh is, is the authority of authorities. Now remember, what this book has done, you'll have to go online to, to connect from last week. Last week we did a quick overview of all of Genesis. Because you have to understand Genesis before you get into Exodus. So if you remember in Genesis, after the fall of man, comes a guy by the name of Abraham. Remember Abraham? Abraham had many sons, had many sons, had father Abraham, and I have one of them, and so are you. And that's all I know. So I didn't grow up in children's church. Um, too many drugs in my life. So Abraham, Abraham's pulled out, pulled out of his tent, basically. God meets Abraham and says, Abraham, out of you, I'm going to create a whole new nation. I'm going to create a whole new nation out of you. And, and, and you're going to be blessed. All of the nations are going to be blessed. Ultimately, what God says to Abraham in a conversation with Abraham is, is he's pointing all the way into the New Testament saying, listen, salvation will be for the whole world and it's going to come through you. And now Abraham heard this and, and he thought, this is ridiculous. I'm old and my wife is old. I doubt he told his wife that, but he told God that. 
My wife is old. There's no way that this can happen in our family. There's no way. And God says, indeed, it is going to be so. And we know that Abraham tried to manipulate with another woman by the name of Hagar, his slave woman, to bring a son about from a relationship that was a, a wrong relationship. And that doesn't work out so hot. And inevitably, we know that Abraham and Sarah had a son. And out of the son came Isaac and so on and so forth. And the text in verse 1, if you look, it tells us all of these different people and it lists the one that's really important for us to know, the man Joseph, who, who came from the lineage of Abraham. And if you remember Joseph, you remember Joseph, he had a dream. And his dream uh, was that all of his brothers would bow down to him. Now imagine if you've got eight other brothers and you, you told them, I, guys, you're at the breakfast table, you're eating your cereal, you're baking. I had a dream. Oh, we'd love to know your dream, young brother. What is it? You all bow down to me and worship. Oh, and then what did they do? They sold him into slavery. Uh, it's a lesson for you young children with siblings. Don't tell your brothers and sisters you're better than them. They might sell you. And that's what happens. He gets sold into slavery, into the slavery of where? Egypt. He ends up in Egypt. And, and as he's in Egypt as a slave, eventually he, through God's grace and mercy, God ends up using him to bring him to be the number two guy uh, in all of Egypt. He ends up being the number two guy with all authority in Egypt. That's how crazy, and, and this is, the, I'm bypassing the fact that he, he was raised up and then he was lowered down. He spent time in prison. He was accused uh, of sleeping with Potiphar's wife. I mean, he went through a slew of things, but he finally ends up the number two guy in Egypt. And then his brothers end up coming back to him. His brothers that sold him into slavery end up coming back to Egypt because of a famine. And they end up going, it's you, Joseph. And he's like, yes, it's me. And he gives them grace and he gives them sanctuary. And he brings, Joseph brings his entire family into Egypt that they would be cared for. And after a 400-year time period, the people forget who Joseph was, forget the goodness of God. And now after 400 years, Joseph's people are in slavery. Now what's amazing though, remember the promise of God. This is part of the themes. We'll get to this. We'll, I'll share more of this in a moment. Weave it in. Um, part of the promise of God to Abraham was you will be as numerous as the stars. And then we'll look at what the text says. When Joseph brought them in, there were 70. Now they've multiplied, it says at the end of verse 6 and verse 7, the people of Israel were fruitful. They increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong. So the land was filled with them. So as the setup to the story uh, you go from Abraham, who's just a dude. He's just a dude. He's not a nation. He's not part of a tribe. But God says, I'm going to make a whole new society out of you. Through Joseph, Joseph gets in slavery to Egypt. He gets raised up. He brings more uh, is, uh, Jews into uh, Egypt. Egypt in, the Jews inside of Egypt grow, and now they're numerous. They're super, super numerous to the point where Pharaoh is saying, if I don't start killing these guys they might overthrow our government, okay? Are you with me? So that is what's happening in Egypt. And, and if you saw in the video, uh, Pharaoh's so freaked out that somehow in his mind, he's justified the murder of the firstborn uh, of the young children. Does this sound familiar at all? Does this sound familiar? Because when we get ready to celebrate Easter, in several weeks' time, we will recognize that there is another promised king that's born and another evil king by the name of Herod will go out and pursue every child under two that's male and kill them. We see the parallel 
right from the beginning. And what's really crazy is how, again, remember I told you, this is all one big story. You remember when, when Adam and Eve fell, as soon as they sinned, God provided the first sacrifice to Adam and Eve, and then he told them the very first presentation of the gospel. He said to Eve, through you, Eve, you will crush the head of the serpent. But, but his heel, speak of the Messiah, will be bruised. Now, does anyone know historically what Pharaoh wore on his headdress? It was a serpent. There's a snake right on the front of his headdress. And we'll see that Moses, who again is foreshadowing Jesus, will crush, literally crush the head of Pharaoh for the freedom of the people, just as Jesus has crushed the head of Satan on our behalf. Good news? Good. Isn't it crazy? This is, two, this is well over 2,000 years old, and it all ties together. There's good reason to read your Bible, good reason to put your hope in Jesus, yeah? Okay, what are the themes in the book? So remember, just giving us a big overview, setting us up to dive into this book. What are the mega themes of the book? So if you're taking notes, uh, this is some good stuff to write down. Here's number one theme. The number one theme for us this morning in this book is that people have hard hearts. People have hard hearts. Pharaoh's jealousy, right? He, he's, he's fearful, and he commands all of, the, all of his people that the firstborn of the Hebrews shall be cast into the Nile. That's how far gone the society is. It's so far gone away from God that somehow, someway, the people of Egypt have justified in their fear to wipe out babies. That, that is, that's a bummer. Pharaoh won't listen. You'll see his stubbornness. But then later, this hard-heartedness, this theme of hard-heartedness in man, doesn't just exhibit itself in, in, in uh, Pharaoh. It also exhibits itself in the people of Egypt. So imagine now, the people of Egypt, if you go through the whole story, they will actually walk, they'll see all of the plagues, uh, which all represent different gods. They'll walk out of Egypt through the, the river, which will be the sea, that will be blown up in half. They'll walk over the dry land. They'll have a cloud that will lead them by the day and a fire by night. So God's leading them. They're going to see manna, which is literal heavenly food, fall from heaven to earth. They're going to see all kinds of different miracles. And then at a certain point in time, what are the people going to do in chapter 16, verse 2, after they've seen all these things? You can turn there real quick if you want to look at it. The whole congregation, it says, after they see all of these things, the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in Egypt when we sat by meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you've brought us into this wilderness to kill us and the whole assembly with hunger. <laughs> you see, they, see they, they have all of these miracles, and this is their complaint. It would be better for us to be in slavery in Egypt because at least we could have a steak every now and then. Now, I can relate to that, I feel like. <laughs> Man, we don't have meat anymore. That's, that's what they're complaining. And at least on 14 different occasions... After 14 different, different 14 occasions, Israel will complain in Exodus at least 14 times. And you'll see the grace of God that God doesn't actually punish them or do anything about it up until later. It isn't until later he finally says, enough. You've got to stop complaining. Uh, and then we'll see not only did Israel have a hard heart towards God, not, not only does, does Pharaoh have a hard heart towards God, but Moses himself ends up struggling with his own hardness of heart. 
you remember, uh, it's listed in Numbers, Moses is not allowed to enter into the promised land because he disobeyed God's commandment. He, he struck the rock to bring water out of it when he was supposed to speak to the rock. And, and God said, Moses, because of your disobedience, you won't go in. So big theme, it's a big theme of the Bible, man has a hard heart. We have an issue. Our problem is that we tend to run anti-God. And even though you are a Christian this morning, even though you, if, if you have proclaimed a saving faith in Jesus this morning, you still will have a tendency to fight God when God wants to do certain things in your life. It, it, we won't be rid of it in this life. But one day, one day, that's the promise, we will. Okay, so number one, hard hearts. Number two, the persistent presence of God. That's another theme, not just in this text, but in the whole Bible and in your life as well. The persistent presence of God. What do I mean by that? God is aware. So if you take a look, if you remember Exodus 1, Pharaoh sees the people are too many. So he oppresses them. And then he calls for all the male children to be murdered. Then look at verse 14, Exodus chapter 1, verse 14. It says, then he made their lives bitter with service and mortar and brick and all kinds of work in the field and all their work, <clears throat> they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. So Pharaoh just keeps adding work upon work upon work to the Jews. They're, they're just, just burdened, heavy with work and labor and hardly any freedom. Then go to chapter 2, verse 23. And during those many days... The king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery, and they cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and look at verse 24, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob, and God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Come on, that's good news. God heard. This is a lesson for us this morning. He hears your prayers. God heard. God saw and God knew, and we know that the result of that was then God intervened. So, so can, we, can we just, you know, bring common stuff in? Do you, do you know God is aware of the virus? Do you know God is aware of the stock market? Do you know God is aware of our political climate and, and the age of outrage that exists on the Internet? Do you know that God is, is not distant from it? That, that we are not deists? We don't believe that there is a God and God is far from humanity? No, no, no. We, we know that God exists. We know that God is real. And we know that God is aware of everything that happens in life and our earth, even to the, to the most intimate point of whatever it is that you are struggling with this morning. This should be a balm to you, a comfort to you. It's what the Latins called corum Deo, which literally means that we live... Uh, in in the, the gaze of God, that God sees us, that he, he's aware of us. He knows our pain. Remember early on in, in training in pastoral ministry and, and even Wayne sharing this in his own ministry and even being aware of it now that, that as a pastor, when I go in, in, into the hospital room or I speak to somebody who has cancer or uh, as I met with someone just, just on Friday about doing a memorial service for their mom, you know, my job is not to step into that realm and tell them all the things that, that, that maybe I should say to help them feel better. Do you know when you've lost a loved one, no one can say anything to you that makes you feel better. When, you're, when your marriage is struggling, there, there aren't necessarily things that people can say to make you. When you feel hurt and pain 
and, and, and you're weary of it and you're tired of it, it doesn't matter what anybody says. We, we've all, for the most part in this room, I imagine, I don't know everybody here, but we have all know the cliche stuff, don't we? You know, the cliche things, well, I'm praying for you. Well, well, how about this? What I've recognized and what I've been taught and what I've learned and what I know to be true is that all I need to do in that moment is make people aware of the fact that God is present in their situation. He's in the room. He's in the room now. It's just to sit there and let them know that God is aware and that God is gracious and that God is kind and that he loves you and that there are better promises than this world can offer. Let me ask you a question. What, what would look differently in your life if you lived knowing that God is always present with you? What would it look like if you, you knew that when you went into work, you carried with you the presence of God? What would it look like if you knew in your marriage at dinner time, if you knew God was present? And I'm preaching to me now because you know I've shared with you how chaotic dinner time is in the Richardson house. Four little kids. Uh, seriously, I've got a nine-year-old. It's, it's, I'm still nine years in saying, why can't you just sit down and eat your food? You know what my kids do every single night? They eat, they eat what they do with their dinner. And then we've learned this. It's taken us nine years to do it. We take the food that's left over. We put it on the counter because we know what's going to happen after 20 minutes of being in bed. I'm going to walk downstairs and say, I'm hungry. And then I say, dinner's on the counter. And then they say, I don't want that. Hey, you ain't hungry. <laughs> You're not hungry then. And I have to keep reminding myself God is present in my home for two reasons. Number one, that God will help me parent my kids. And number two, that God will keep me from harming them. This is why when God came to Moses and said, Moses, listen, man, you need to go and you need to speak on my behalf. And what Moses did, again, showing the hardness of his heart, the doubtfulness of his heart, he said, you can't send me because I'm a nobody and I, I can't speak good. That's what he tells God. I have, a, I have an impediment. I have a speech impediment. If you send me, I'm going to make a fool of myself. And God simply says to, to Moses, when you go, which you're going to do, you're going to go. And when you go, you tell Pharaoh, I am who I am. It's another way of God saying, I, I am present. I am God. I am who I am. I'm there, and I'm aware. And so there's this promise that God is present in our situation, persistently present, and that we serve a God that when it's time for him to intervene in our life, he, he will. He will. And I know if you're in the room this morning, if you're anything like me, you might go, well, I sure wish he'd move a little faster. I'm sure Israel did too as they wandered for 40 years. Which leads me to, to really how we carry this out, which is point number three of another theme that's in the book. Not only that, that God is persistently present, but that he keeps his promises with power. He's a promise keeper. And he, the scripture actually tells us that all the promises of God are yes in Jesus. What that means is that when you look through the Old Testament to certain promises, when you look in the New Testament to certain promises, those promises are yours in Jesus Christ. Christ. And he carries out those promises with power. Over the years as a pastor, I, I, I continually, as I shared when we went through our overview of the year report, I have to ask the question, why, why do I pastor? <laughs> I have to ask that question periodically. Why am I doing this? Why do we do church? Why do we study the Bible? And, and, and wondering, like, like, what is my job? What is my role? Because, you see, if I get focused on, on, well, my job is to fill this room and the room's empty, I'm going to feel like I'm not doing my job. And then, and then all of a sudden, I'm going to start feeling low and, and, and I'm going to have low self-esteem. 
But if I also make that the focus, then when the room's full, I could become really prideful and, and egotistical. Look at what I'm doing. And I recognize that God's not concerned so much about how many people are in the room as much as he's concerned about the transforming power that's happening in your heart for those that are in the room. And so we go back, well, what's God doing? And, I've, and what, what's my role? You know what my job ultimately is? My job ultimately is that your faith would increase in God. That's my job, to preach in such a way that your view of God would be made greater because of who God is. I was reminded of this in Hawaii from a pastor that, that I got to know uh, down there, and he was sharing with me that, that, that really ultimately the ultimate thing that we need to be doing as pastors is increasing faith, not just in God, but also in the promises of God. That we believe that the promises of God are really, 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 really for us and that he'll carry those promises out in power. Let me ask you a question. Wouldn't your life look differently when you were diagnosed with cancer and you knew that you know that you know that heaven's real? That that promise is for you. Wouldn't your life look really, really differently if you knew that you knew that you knew that your sin and your transgression in the past and in the present right now and in the future was truly, totally forgiven by God. That he not only carried your sin, but your guilt and your shame. What would it look like if you really knew that, that, that we're not going to live just for maybe 80 or 90 years if we're lucky, but that we're going to live for eternity? And that this is just a blip on the radar. Every now and then, whenever I deal with something inside of the church that's heavy and hard, I have to remind myself that I'm going to die. <laughs> I know that sounds somewhat pessimistic, but I, it's the hope of I'm going to die, no one's going to care, and I'm going to be in heaven, and I'm going to be eating good food, and I'm going to hang out with Jesus, I'm going to be chilling with Paul and Peter, and who's gonna, who cares? It puts everything in perspective. And then when I put the promises of God that God's going to intervene in our lives, that, that he's the God who awakens the soul, and he's the God who softens the heart. He's the God who brings people to salvation. Wouldn't it look different if you knew that your parenting matters, but it doesn't matter nearly as much as God's intervention in your child's life? And you can't, you can't make that happen. My wife and I were sitting in the bed last night. We were talking about how much we were screwing up our kids. And I just looked at her and said, all parents screw up their kids. Some more than others. But God's bigger than the mistakes of our parents. God's bigger than, than the sin that's been committed to you. God's bigger than the sins that you struggle with. Your identity isn't what the world says it is. Your identity's in Jesus. What if you believed that promise that you have a new identity in Jesus Christ and that identity is that you're a true child of God and that God the Father does not, sees no distinction between his son Jesus and his son or daughter that you are in him? Wouldn't it change everything? Wouldn't it change the way you spend your money? Wouldn't it change the way that you fear certain things? As the Bible says, don't fear man who can take away your life, but fear the one who can actually destroy the soul. Doesn't it change everything if you really believe the promises of God? Let me, let me just encourage you, and you'll see near the end of the message here, there'll be an opportunity for you to dive in this week to just look for the promises of God and realize that they're yours in Jesus. Isn't that good news? I need that news. Last one. <clears throat> Number four, major theme, is deliverance with sacrifice. Another way to put it is freedom with sacrifice. This is to say that the theme of Exodus and the theme of the Bible is God freeing mankind from the bondage of sin and the slavery uh, that, that it brings to us. 
That God has come to free you from your addiction, to free you from, from your troubled heart, to free you from shame. But the, the reality is, and the word and the language I've used here is important, deliverance with sacrifice or freedom with sacrifice is that it takes a sacrifice to give you that freedom. That freedom is free for you, but it cost God something great. There was a sacrifice that was made, and that was Jesus. And that's why as God passed over the sin or passed over uh, the children of, of uh, Israel, there had to be the blood placed over the top and on the sides, which is a picture of the cross, and that the blood of Jesus, the perfect spotless lamb, provides for us an escape from the ultimate judgment of God. And the good news is, is that Jesus has paid the price that if you put your faith in him, and here's the reality, if, if you have faith enough to ask, you have faith enough. And if you place that faith in Jesus, you can be rest assured that the, the Passover that Israel experienced and the Passover that Jesus brings is for you. What would it look like if you really believed in this sacrifice that Jesus brings and the forgiveness that he brings along with the power that he does it? And you'll see. You'll see that, that, that God will actually bring these ten plagues, each representing a different God that Egypt actually worshipped. I mean, don't you love just the irony and, and somewhat the, the comical side to God? Oh, you have, you have a God of frogs? Well, here's a bunch of them. <laughs> to the point of sickness. Like, get rid of these things. And, and what he's ultimately showing Egypt and what he's also showing us is when you place your trust in anything other than God himself, it leads to bondage and slavery and sickness. And there's only one that you're to give all of your adoration, your attention to. I was reminded of this this week, uh, just this simple question that, that God kind of asked me in my own alone time with him as God spoke to me in the way that he speaks to me, not as he speaks to everyone this way, not that it's a miracle deal, but he, he asked me the question, Jesse, where's your refuge? Where do you run? That's what a refuge is. Where do you run when you need help and you need escape? Where do you go? Do you go to, to this or do you go to that? Or do you go to this other thing? Do you go to entertainment or do you run to me? Where's your refuge? And Jesus is our refuge. It's in the spotless lamb of God that we're passed over and we're made accepted. What would your life look like if you really saw that Jesus was your refuge? What addictions would you be rid of if you ran to Jesus instead of, instead of that thing, whatever that thing is? The gospel is in Exodus. We're all in need of freedom. We're all slaves to something. As we tend to say around here, no one is worship neutral. And Jesus provides an exodus for us. And the big theme of this book is, is it's us passing through the waters of sin, shame, and guilt into the goodness of God. That, that is what we're going to continue to learn. There's other lessons in the book, by the way. And you see the lesson of, of what it means to take care of the unborn. We see the tension of racism and murder. We see how God uses weak and ordinary people. We'll see the importance of actually singing praise to God. The importance and the nature of true community and how to rely on God's presence daily. We'll see the need of delegation and leadership and taking counsel from others. We'll see the importance of obeying, of obeying God's words and how dangerous idolatry is and how important true worship really is. So as the worship team comes up, here's kind of the next steps I'd like to encourage you in in the next week. And so if you're new or if you're not familiar, we try to put these up every week just to, just to nudge you in the direction of the grace of God. So number one, take time to read this week 
chapters 1 through 18. Get in the Bible and read a good chunk. 18 chapters. Actually, probably won't take you that long, but read the, this is the first half of Exodus. And I want you to just, as you're reading it, I want you to be looking for evidences of God's grace, just where God is working and where he's behind the scenes and where he's doing stuff. Number two, in the chapters, verses, uh, chapters 1 through 18, um, where do you see your need for God and how can you better believe in the promises of Jesus? So, so look for those promises and look for areas that, that increase your strength in the promises of God. Really understand that those promises are for you and rest your faith and your assurance on those promises. Amen? If you would, would you stand with me as we pray? And we'll let you leave this place hopefully filled with just more assurance in the presence of God. There's nothing to fear. There's just the ability and chance to worship God in the midst of the chaos that the world brings. Lord, we, we ask you to do again as we close a work that we cannot do. We know that there are lessons in every sermon, lessons in every part of the Bible that that we can't even apply to ourselves. And even in that, we look for your grace to solidify and to plant within us, uh, Lord, the lessons that we need to learn and how we can follow them out and how we can worship you and trust you. We're essentially saying and declaring to you in humility, we need you to do what we cannot. And so as we leave here, I, I know there are things in everyone's life here to some degree or another that are a frustration that, that, that are achy within the heart that just bring just frustration, Lord. And I would just ask that you would allow those things right now as we sing to be placed at your feet. And as you intervened, Lord, you heard, you heard, you saw, and you acted. May we have faith in that now, Lord. Would you hear our cry? Would you intervene as you see fit? For you are the king, not Pharaoh, not man, but Jesus Christ on the throne. In Jesus' name we trust. Amen.